This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique, voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! <laughs> Hello again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets gay. Tonight, it's the Gay Pride episode because it's Gay Pride Month and it's the most fabulous time of the year. Tonight, it is episode 264. Will you still need me? Will you RSS feed me when I'm 264? Apparently, yes, you will, because there you are. So, to celebrate this monumental time in gay history, the 50th anniversary of Stonewall, we are taking a departure from the norm. Who's norm? I don't know, but we're departing from him, so just forget about norm, because we are leaving the horror genre aside for this show. And we are going to look at a seminal touchstone gay film. Can't Stop the Music from 1980. The movie for whom the Razzies Awards were created. The movie that sank the careers of just about everybody involved in it. And yet, it's still kind of fabulous. Really? I heard it's awful. Well, you're going to find out. But before we go another step further, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Patrick Walsh and... Every month, twice a month, I am your guide to the weird and wonderful worlds of horror movies. Except you're going to have to see them through my very gay little eyes. Except we're not doing that today, which is a weird thing to not force my gay on people during Gay Pride Month. I don't know. I'm, 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 a, I'm an enigma wrapped in a conundrum served on a side with a taco. I got nothing. I got nothing. Okay, let's get this out of the way right now. Bum bum smoochy watchy out of the da da. What's going on with that cat? Meow. Well, a lot of you were left hanging after that last episode after Smoochie was in the hospital. And I'm not going to lie, things were bad. That night, they actually had me, I had the papers in hand. The papers that would have given them authorization to well, give Smoochie her ticket to the Rainbow Bridge. But it didn't happen. She. All of a sudden started responding. Uh, she was having major seizures. She might have had a stroke. She was in the hospital for a good five days, and um, she's home now. And she seems to have recovered quite nicely. She had a tremor in her front paw for a while. And it wasn't clear right away whether or not it was going to be permanent. But i got to tell you, Miss Thing, I swear to God, I was in the other room, and I heard her practicing her Catherine Hepburn impersonation. I heard her in there like... Why don't you stop yakking on that podcast and get me some more tuna fish, you old poop. Bitch. But the tremor has gone away. Things are back to normal. And it's a happy household once again. Yay! Yay! Until Can't Stop the Music showed up. No, that's not true. This has actually been a fascinating journey for me. Because initially I said, ah, it'll be a bad movie. We can make fun of it. That'll be fun. But then... Me being the investigative journalist that I am, I had to do some deeper digging. And I have now got an entirely different view on this movie. 
as well as the importance of the village people. Stop snickering. You'll find out what I mean soon enough. So since this is a very special episode of Scream Queens, it's also an especially long one. We're going to be going over two hours today, so I don't want to be yakking too much here. However, I would be remiss if I didn't point out a few things and talk about a few topics, like how I went to go to the Broadway theaters a couple of times. Oh, shut up. Leave me alone. I haven't been in ages, and it's Pride Month, for God's sake. And I'm a big gay theater queen. What can I do? The first thing I got to see was a show called Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus. Now, I I hear you're already bored. Titus Andronicus is widely considered to be Shakespeare's worst play. It's poorly written, overly violent, and incredibly gory, which makes it interesting for horror fans. And so the sequel was promising lots of blood and, and, and comedy and stuff, and it starred Nathan Lane. It's already closed, which is why I'm using the past tense. Nathan Lane, Julie White, and Christine Nielsen. Now, you might not know the women, but they are two of the most brilliant comedic actors anywhere. And to have them and Nathan Lane on one stage ah, was like a master class in comedy. And plus, it's gross comedy. I mean, the whole play takes place on a gigantic pile of dead bodies left over from the original Titus Andronicus. And it ends with, well, sort of a choreographed, dance number when some of the corpses come alive and have mechanized animatronic giant boner penises. Yeah, okay, it's art, okay? Don't giggle. It's very serious stuff. (laughs) It was great to see the three of them, but man, I wish the play was better. I really didn't get it, and I really didn't care. Anyway, gay people made up two-thirds of the cast, so hooray! The other thing I got to see I also didn't like, which was called Hillary and Clinton. The only reason I was dying to see it is because it starred Laurie Metcalf and John Lithgow. Ah, again, two titans of theater. Sure, most of you know Laurie from Roseanne. I mean, she played Jackie, Roseanne's sister. But she's a founding member of the Steppenwolf Company out of Chicago. When you talk about actors, those people come to play. And they play hard because they're fabulous. And John Lithgow, total theater actor. Never got to see him on stage before. I just keep missing him. To be in the same room as those two, be breathing the same air, well, it was kind of bonerific, except I didn't get a boner because that would have been weird at her Hillary Clinton show. I'm really with her. That was gross. That was inappropriate. What else did I have to talk about? Oh, you might notice that I am in a considerably better mood than I was the last episode. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Um, Things got dark. And you know, things tend to get a little dark around here. Really? At a horror podcast? Shut up, Patrick. You know, whenever Pride Month starts rolling around, I'm like, man, I don't do anything anymore. You know, I'm a relatively newly divorced gay man, and I don't know what to do with myself. I'm not socializing. So I spend my... Most of my time doing stuff alone, and then I get obsessed with bad news from around the world, particularly the bad news that's affecting the LGBT population and potentially really hurting us. So yes, while everything I talked about that last episode is true, unfortunately, and is a very severe problem, I was able to shift my focus to more positive things. And that's because I stumbled across a blog. Actually, I didn't stumble across it. I've been following this guy on Twitter forever. We we were in a group together. I just never actually got around to looking at the site. I didn't even know what it was. And the contents on this blog blew my mind. And the blog of which I am now currently speaking is called Gaily Dreadful. And it's run by a guy named Terry Mesner. And as it says in 
the about section of the page is the whole goal of it is to promote the writings of LGBT genre writers. Oh, Terry. Terry, 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 you underestimated yourself. Because this blog, it, well, it doesn't really do that at all. What it does, it's, it's actually showcasing the talents of exceptional LGBT genre writers. Exceptional. My mind was blown over and over again. And I'm not a blog reader. And I ate up post after post after post after post. And was just so inspired by this collection of incredibly gifted people. Now, the thing is, they're not writing fiction here. It's nonfiction. It's all their stories of you know being queer and your relationship with horror and how it being reflected in horror and all that kind of stuff and how horror did or did not affect their lives. It's fascinating and it turned my whole head around. It got me right out of that blackness that I've been sitting in for so long, which is weird if you think about it. Really, so you went to a horror blog and now you feel better about the world. Yes. Yes, I do. Completely unexpected. Now, on this blog there is a special section dedicated to Pride 2019. While all of the writing there is above and beyond, the pieces in that section are above and beyond the above and beyond. I thought I had my mind blown before. There is one blog in there. If you don't read anything else on there, please read Horror Did Not Save My Life. I'm not going to say anything else about it because I want to hear what you have to say about it. How does it make you feel? Moving seems an understatement. And I've already used so many exceptional words that I think I've dried up my thesauruses for the day, but it's it's beautiful. Heartbreakingly beautiful. Now, June is almost over, obviously. So I want you to go take a look at the Pride section now. I don't know how long it's going to be there. I don't know if it's going to go away after Pride's over. And A, I want you to see all these writings. But B, Terry is also running a fundraiser for the month of June for the Trevor Project, which is another organization that's near and dear to my heart. That is an organization that is committed to protecting the lives of at-risk LGBT people, particularly youth, because teen suicide among our community is still a huge problem. Hey, remember when you used to hear about it on the news all the time? It was like every week another kid was killing themselves. Things must be better because we don't hear about it anymore. No, we just don't hear about it anymore. So if we're putting together this collection of extraordinary, so if we're putting this collection together of this extraordinary group of out queer writers and coupling that, with a humanitarian cause, like the Trevor Project. You touched my heart, Terry. You are making the world a less horrible place with this blog. And for that, Terry Mesnard, you are the next Scream Queen of the Week! Oh, Terry, here he comes. He's the Queen of the Week. He's in charge. <laughs> 
He's like, that's great. Could you please stop singing, please? No, I will never stop singing, Terry. No, no, no. And you know what else? There's no, no to a tiara for you. You don't get one. No, you don't. You know what? You don't need one. You don't need one. Because the work you're doing is shining brighter than any goddamn piece of jewelry sitting on your head ever could. So as some of you, I'm sure, know by now, the new rule that I have for Scream Queen of the Week is that not only do you not get a tiara, but you do get a $25 donation from me and the show to the philanthropic cause of your choice. And since it was right there in front of me in black and white on my computer screen, I said, Trevor Project, here you go. My other part of the deal for the new Scream Queen of the Week is that I encourage all of my listeners to do likewise. Say thank you to Terry for this incredible work that he's doing by giving a donation to a charity who, like everybody on that blog, is above and beyond. The work that the Trevor Project does is immeasurably important. Show Terry that you like his style by giving them some money because that's a fabulous thing to do. Seriously, Terry, you have no idea how black it was inside my soul and for how long. And the fact that your blog broke through that wall child I, I want to say Molly you endanger girl but that's not right it's, you're like the opposite of that oh there you go Terry you're my hero and I say that completely unironically so go check out Terry's blog at www.gaylydreadful.com and that's G-A-Y-L-Y and if you don't know how to spell dreadful I can't possibly help you go do some reading definitely check out horror did not save my life and make a donation to the Trevor Project. And by doing so, make this Pride Month a little more fabulous for a kid who might be on the edge right now. Because I just read an article today that says all it needs is one adult who understands to keep an at-risk gay kid from killing themselves. Just one. And that could be you. And just a reminder, if you know someone like Terry or any of the previous Scream Queens of the Week who are doing something to change the tide a little bit, to, to raise who are going out of their way to do something fabulous. To make life better for other people or to just make their day a little bit better in these really awful times, please let me know. I can find out, I can find out about all this stuff by myself. Let me know and who knows, maybe they will be the next Scream Queen of the Week. Now before we go, I do have one more thing. Now before we get into the movie, I just have one more thing that I would like to point out. Now, over time, I have been chatting with a young filmmaker named Zach David. I've talked about him on the show before. He had uh, released a short film called The Ball, which was fantastic. It was a you know, medieval fairy tale kind of setting where the beautiful Disney-esque princess is really the evil monster bitch you have to be worried about and not the actual evil monster bitch you think. Never mind. Anyway, that's, we're not talking about that now because that was then. But he's in the process of putting together what he's calling a visual album. It's coming out in dribs and dribs, not dribs, it's coming out piece by piece, but basically they're music videos centered around the theme pop horror. Mixing pop music with horrific stories. I, of course, think this is fabulous. You think everything's fabulous, Patrick. No, I really don't. 
He just put out the latest addition to the pop horror collection, a little video called Bubblegum. What could possibly be scary about Bubblegum? Why don't you watch it and find out? And you actually have to pay attention to the video. You don't just listen to the music. It's a whole thing. The whole package goes together as a package should. I'll be including a link in the show notes for you to go check out the video. But as an extra little added treat, I'm going to be playing some of the Bubblegum song as we transition into Can't Stop the Music. The song isn't telling the whole story. And if you want to find out why this girl loves Bubblegum so much, well, you just better watch. My bubble gum in the morning, in the night, in the dark, and in the light. The flavor is so yummy, yum. Oh, I love my bubble gum. the musical extravaganza that launches the 80s. It's Alan Carr's Can't Stop the Music. You can't stop the music. Once you see it, you'll know why you can't stop the glamour. Do the shake. Stop the excitement. You can't stop the dancing. Can't stop the laughter. Magic night. Magic's in the music. It's a magic night. We all need to use it. We can have a good time and enjoy all the magical vibes on this magic night. Good friends all around you. It's a magic night. Magic But most of all, you can't stop the music. You can't stop the music. Can't stop Nobody the music. Co-starring Tammy Grimes, June Havoc, Barbara Rush, Out to East Davis, Marilyn Sokol, and a special appearance by the Ritchie family. 
once it begins, you can't stop the music. Sounds of the 80s are composed and produced by Chuck Forelli. Watch for the exciting new Pinnacle Photo Book, an EMI film from AFD. Original soundtrack records and tapes available through Casablanca Records. So as you all know, June is Gay Pride Month, and I figured what better way to celebrate is to break the mold of Scream Queens a little bit and talk about a movie that's not quite a horror movie, but yet in its own right is a horror movie. And I'm talking about the 1980 musical extravagantial can't stop the music starring no other people but the village people and i figure who better to join me than two of the biggest homosexuals that i know <laughs> and one of them is giving me the finger right now thank you oh yeah that feels nice scott thank you first of all he is the host of the satosphere and he is the man with the dick that talks it talking about scott the Sater. Well, hey there, baby. Hi, boo. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while. It's been a couple years. Hearts, not diamonds. Oh, God. Well, I figured, yes, I figured I needed to make up for you for that debacle. <laughs> so I gave you this oh, debacle. Oh, this made up for it. Sure, okay. Sure, absolutely. There were dicks. Were there dicks in the fan? Uh, there, I didn't see them. I, I was looking at asses because I'm a top. Oh, oh, look at look at how Chris's eyes just lit up. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, folks, since we had recording problems last time because of Miss Moochie having to go to the hospital for her seizures, oh. we have lost Doug Shapiro. So we don't have everybody's favorite Freddy cat, but we've got something even better. We've got the director of Creatures from the Pink Lagoon. He's been here before. He was here for ooh, for Chopping Mall and for Invaders. Uh, Strange Invaders and something else. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Mr. Christiani. Well, hello. Thank you for having me back. Oh, you're very welcome. We're here to talk about the gayest not gay musical ever made. Right? My God. I mean, it made me gay. (laughs) So it did its work. Did you drink milk? Because apparently milk makes you gay. Apparently. According to this movie, you drink milk, you turn into the village people. Shake it, baby. We are way ahead of ourselves. So this movie was supposed to be, there's so much, I don't even know where to get into. It is like an exercise in hubris. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That that Alan Carr, producer Alan Carr, hot off of his hit movie Grease, thought he was the god of Hollywood, met the village people at some dinner. During dinner, was like, hey, I got a movie idea for you. Four weeks later, Bruce Valanche had written the, the script, and it was in pre-production, and here we go. Oof. Thought he had track. Thought he had the next big thing. Thought he had nailed down the sound of the 80s. Spoilers, he didn't. He didn't because, <laughs> I mean, that, that, but that was, that was the 1980 musical curse because that year we also had Xanadu and The Apple, all of which tanked Oof. because they thought oh, they had God. the sound of the 80s. Why and did they you didn't. bring up the apple? Oh. <laughs> the three big, three big flops of the year <laughs> were all musicals. But this one was the biggest one because it had the biggest budget, a rotating cast, and just more production problems than you could believe. And as it was known throughout the industry, "Can't Stop the Music" was also called "Can't Stop the Cocaine." Can't stop the cocaine, <laughs> and it, and it shows. 
Oh my God, does it show? Okay, I know this is going to be tough, but let's see. I think I did. Chris, could you give me, since you are actually, no, let me get to Scott. You haven't been here in a while. It's your job to give me a nice, tight 30 second plot summary. Um, this- can't stop the music. The clock starts now. Can't Stop the Music is the kind of true story of the creation of the village people and how they rose to fame and stardom. Done. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I would have thrown in some Bruce Jenner, but okay. Well, yeah, well, okay, okay. We need to talk about that first. We should have talked this Boy, before. Yeah, yeah. We have to be careful with dead naming. Right. Well, that's okay. So that's my question. How do we go about addressing well, the, the way they handled it on how did this get made? Oh, mm-hmm. they said that it's really hard to talk about this because it is Bruce and Bruce was right. guest. But if we always remember that, like, Caitlin is Bruce now and that yep. that's the same person. And like, we, 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 we're old. We're all old. We all grew up with Bruce Jenner as the Wheaties box guy and the superhero guy. And so it's, it, I know it's really hard for me to differentiate the two, but just let us all saying up in front. We all accept the fact that Caitlyn Jenner is who he is now, or she is now. And mm-hmm. it's Caitlyn Jenner and boy drag. There you go. But the fact that, that Caitlyn is in this project is kind of interesting. And what he turned down to be in this project of all projects. Uh, what did he is, turn down? Yes. Do Air, tell. Airplane. Oh wow! Oh yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was supposed to. Uh, I forget who he was supposed to be. He was oh, supposed to be he, he he would have ruined that movie. <laughs> would he? Because I think his comedy skills in this movie are pretty okay. I think his acting skills are comedic. With <laughs> is that? I mean, he is a little wooden, but like his physical stuff is pretty good. Like there are moments where I'm seeing like a a little bit of I just forgot his name. Three's Company. Uh, John Ritter. John Ritter. Little yeah, bit. I mean, I, I believed he was getting burned by that lasagna. Sure. Uh-huh. Sure. And the ever-changing stains of that lasagna. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. There's so much to get into with this movie. And most of it is that it's supposed to be about the village people, and they're barely in it. And have no character development whatsoever aside from their costumes. No, no. It's really all about um, – I just blanked on her name. I'm Valerie Perrine. It's the Valerie Perrine story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And somewhat the Steve Gutenberg. Well, yeah. Yeah, but Steve Gutenberg drops out of the movie. He really does. He really drops out of the movie, but it's it's the Valerie Perrine story. As she used to be a big supermodel, and now she's fat. She's so grotesquely fat. <laughs> so fat. <laughs> it's all anybody talks about, and she's not. She's, she's, she's like, not. she's finally got to let herself she's go not. and eat what she wants, and she's introduced with Steve Gutenberg, grabs her ass, and she's like, fattening up for the Miss Piggy lookalike contest, huh? Yes! Yeah. For the first time in my life, I can eat as much as I want to, and I intend to. Right? It's so, it's so bizarre how, like, well, first of all, everyone is so handsy in this movie. And my note for that, because it's like we just jump right into the action with Steve Gutenberg, like quitting his record store job and and uh, going roller skating into Central Park and grabbing her ass. Boogie, boogieing. No, it's, it's Washington, it's Washington Square Park, but he's boogieing down 7th Avenue. And it's one of those things where everything is like it's completely wrong geologically. So, oh, I have well, a, of course it is. He's downtown, up, down, downtown, up, down, downtown, up, downtown, up, downtown, up. But then again, he's on so much cocaine, apparently. I have a quick question because no one in this gay, ever, no one in this movie ever says the word gay. Is no. his character gay? No. 
No, because yeah. she does. Because um, Sam does mention that she hasn't heard the clip clop of um, flight attendants' heels for a while. So you, you know, the assumption is flight that attendants we... can be men too. But did a lot of straight guys <laughs> disco roller skate around New York City in 1980? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I always thought that was a gay thing. Well, he wore the short shorts the best. Am I right? Right. Chris? Well, I don't know. That half shirt and short short combination on Caitlyn Jenner looks pretty good too. Oh, I know. Well, that's that, that's a, that, that, that was his, that was that character's arc. He went from that three piece suit, <laughs> just like that, just being being stiff and uptight, and all of a sudden right. he's in a crop top and short shorts. Way to go, Caitlyn. So, he, so here's my question: Caitlyn plays a high end lawyer. Is that right? Tax, tax lawyer. Tax lawyer. Why is he delivering a fucking cake? That was oh, really God. confusing, and I got that from somewhere else. I've, I watched one of the documentaries. Apparently, it gets lost in the dialogue because cocaine. I'm Rod White. Your sister sent you a cake. A little old lady just robbed me. Would you mind running through that again? A little old lady with a big gun held me up. No kidding. How do you know my sister? I, I live next door to in St. Louis. She must have been 80 years old. Well, that's not my sister. I mean, she's older than I am, but... She got my wallet, my watch, my class ring. She got my five beta kappa key. Well, I'm sure glad she didn't get the cake. I forgot to order dessert. <laughs> but he knows Valerie Perrine's sister from back in right. Des Moines or wherever the hell he's from. And she told him to drop off a cake. Okay. Yeah, it's so, it was so random. And, and he comes unannounced Yeah, with the cake. And he's just been mugged, of course. So there's, there's that bit of business. And it's just – it's like that whole dinner party that happens is so – triggering to my OCD because all these people just drop in for random reasons and she's just got this like magical lasagna that's just never ending and yet the next day when you see the leftovers like barely a half of it has been eaten for like 60 people because like, they're all on cocaine Chris nobody eats oh. when they're on cocaine <laughs> by the way can we talk about how that outdoor dinner party is somehow gayer than the one in boys in the band it is Oh, it is. Time. It is. We're way ahead of ourselves. My favorite part, like, I love that this movie opens. It loves. I, first of all, I was like, "Oh, Tower Records, yay!" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently, everyone on, in Tower Records is on cocaine because all the customers are insane. Yeah, I don't know was, what's I, going on at Tower Records, but it's like a madhouse. It was a feeding frenzy, and I thought maybe that was going to be part of the plot: is that somebody has just dropped this amazing record that everyone's trying to get their hands on, and Steve Gutenberg's is going to be better than that. But no. No, there's just crazy people at Tower Records. And he's no, it's just it. an excuse for him to quit. Because right. you know, he he's he's he says that he's got to get out because he's got a DJ job tonight. Because he's going to be a star. And he's going right. to be a star. He's going to drop his music, and the people are going to be collapsing. He keeps saying that, and I don't know what that means. It's like the, <laughs> the music's going to be playing, and the people are going to be collapsing. It's going to be great. I'm going to be a star. But the boss wants him to do inventory. So he quits. It's this epic thing. And he roller skates out of the building. And I realized you were on roller skates working. Yeah. Right? Which it is awesome. practical at best. Okay, Schultze. Have it your way. But the next time you take inventory in here, you'll be counting the albums of Jack Morell. Because I am a composer, not a schlepper salesman. My time is now. But here's the thing. I'm watching this whole scene with him. It's it's, a, it's seven minutes of him boogieing down. It's not, it's not a bad song. No, no, it's not a bad song at all. The song is fine. And it's entertaining to see old New York and everything like that. And I'm just going, 
there's something about the look of that time that's so simple but works. Like he's just got the clean eyes on on and the beige pants. Right. And he looks banging. He, he he's really he was 20 cute. years old. He was so young and so cute. Uh-huh. And I am not a fan of Steve Gutenberg. No, neither am I. I've, I've never thought of him as cute, but he really is hot in this movie. Uh-huh. And man, is he big. You know how people say they're on 11, like he goes up to 11? He's on 15. <laughs> oh, my God, he is. <laughs> but at least he's acting. Yeah. He's so, like, all of his lines are like this, and it's so big and so enunciated. I'm like, okay. Okay, it's gonna be a four four, okay? Can you sing high low bill? Cause like let him sing in the middle. Such a faster. He's just out of college, I'm sure. No, he was a theater actor, so I mean there's a lot of that too. There's a lot of theater actors who wind up in this and stuff is way too big for the screen. And I don't mind it a lot of the time, but him gets really annoying. But I don't like his whole plot. I don't really understand. I'm not really sure how you become a DJ and push music. Tonight, Benny Murray is going to see that I am merely fabulous. He's going to make me the full-time DJ. Sam, don't you know what that means to me? It's everything. I get to play my music. The people are going to start collapsing, and the big record company is going to come crawling. Look, I've been telling you ever since I know you that I'm fantastic, that my music is good, and tonight I'm going to prove it. Look, if you don't like what I do, you don't like everything, I'll go back to dental school like my father wants. But you gotta give me a chance. But then when it comes to later on, like you don't know how to record music or put a group together, but apparently you did because you have that song that you played, which is awesome. Right. That's Samantha's song at the, at the club is amazing. And Sam critica- criticizes his vocals, and he doesn't know any vocalist. But who's the vocalist on the song that he played when he was doing the DJ set? I know exactly. It's all very confusing because nobody cares. <laughs> he, <laughs> he wants to be, a, he wants to be a star, but is a songwriter, not a singer. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. And the I, thing I is, at a certain point, when, a certain point, he was in the DJ. He was talking to Sam, and he said that thing again. He's like, "Man, I'm up here, and I'm I'm like a I'm like the captain of my ship, and you know the lights are flashing, and the fog's going, and the music's playing, and the people are prolapsing." I'm like, "Wait, what? Oh, collapsing? <laughs> oh, that's a whole different party." <laughs> you are looking at a king in his castle. See, these switches can lift, drop. Change the disposition of everybody in here. I should have known when the music went bad, it would be you at the controls. <laughs> Look at them. They're happy. They're so happy. They're so high. They've forgotten everything that gets them down. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Music is magic. I want to make that magic. Well, can we just mention that the song that he, the song of his own that he plays is so wrong for the beat that he's been playing the whole night. It's just like, it's this like kind of rock song. It absolutely is, but it's, I uh, think it's a great song and I think it's a great sequence too. It's a catchy song. I've had it in my head all week. And you get to see Valerie Prine dance with every gay man in Manhattan. Every gay man in Manhattan. They're all straight. Right, they're uh-huh. all straight because they're all like clamoring and cutting in to, to dance with her. Uh-huh. But, come on, but you look at them and you're like, Girl. No, no not with that hair, honey. No, 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 no But I want to dance with this fat model. 
She's so fat. <laughs> Miss Piggy. She's so fat. <laughs> and she's enjoying being fat for the first time in her life she can eat. Hey, good for her. Good for her. I'm all for that. Get fat. But she's not fat, but everyone no. keeps calling her fat. I do want to take a moment just break from the this whole thing. The women in this movie own the movie. Oh, yeah. They well, are they're like, the ones that have character development. I mean, but like some of the performances in here are fucking phenomenal. Tammy Grimes as her agent. Sydney. Is gay heaven. You have arrived here like the Wicked Witch of the West. And you've turned into Snow White. And here are the seven dwarves. Sleepy, sneezy, grumpy, and gorgeous. How do you do? I'm Sydney Channing. Do you have representation? I'm the most important commercial imprint agent in New York. What? Fruit of the Loom is doing a big ad campaign. Something tells me that you could really fit into a pair of jockey shorts. What a delightful icebreaker. Tammy Grimes is just sheer bliss in this movie. Her I character her. makes no sense. Like, they set her up as, like, there's that whole, when you, she's her agent, and the first thing she says to her on the phone is, How fat are you? How fat are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got this voice, it's like this, it's like this wonderful age. I'm Sydney, whoever, I'm the greatest model agent, whatever, whatever. But... <laughs> You think that she's going to be some sort of a villain because they have this whole like thing of her trying to get to her apartment right, to spy on her. And all these crazy things keep happening to her, which would be hilarious if you knew what she wanted, but you right. don't. But they're hilarious because her voice is great. Operator, operator, my my finger is cut. My finger, operator, my finger is stuck in the dial. Help! You pussy. Help! I'm I should never come downtown. Help! Help! I'm being attacked. Help! Help me! I'm being attacked. Operator, my finger is stuck in the my finger is stuck in the dial. Operator. Yeah, Can we talk about that that whole telephone sequence and the whole robbery that follows shortly after is so Nancy Walker. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh. This what are we doing? Laugh in? What's going on? Oh, yeah, does Nancy it, Walker have like a, a discernible style? Well, it was just it felt it felt like laughing to me. Yeah. Okay. Let's since we brought her up, this movie is supposedly directed by Nancy Walker, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be historic because this was the first time a woman had directed a multi-million-dollar musical. But apparently, she didn't direct it. Oh. I mean, she did. She was on set, but like she would refuse to work with Valerie Perrine, so she would not be on set anytime Valerie Perrine is on set. Valerie Perrine is in every goddamn scene. Right. Except the climax of the movie. Except the climax of the movie. And, you know, right. I, I, I told you to watch that interview, that, that documentary. Oh, yeah. That documentary yeah. definitely fills in some blanks. Yeah, this the fabulous documentary called The Fabulous Life of Alan Carr. A fabulous world of Alan Carr, whatever the hell it is, but it's the fabulous Alan Carr. Thank you. And it was fabulous in Alan Carr in there somewhere. Who was the producer and is out flamboyant gay man who took over Hollywood for a really short time and then tanked and Hollywood ate him. Yes, they did. Without without any hesitation. But the, on that documentary, they're saying like Nancy had no idea what she was doing behind yeah, I the think camera. I think somebody said that she um, substituted bravado for skill. Yeah, she for came on and yeah. orders the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, so she was just nasty the whole time, and like even at the premiere, the huge premiere party, she walked in and was like, "Hi," and left. It's like I'm not sitting through this piece of shit. Yeah. Oh, wow. Bad yeah. News. 
Yeah, bad news. So it was, but that's apparently the other thing with Alan Carr was that he would cast at his movie both sides of the camera if he liked you. Right. Didn't matter if you had the skills or not. Like, right. like he he just wanted Bruce Jenner. He just wanted Nancy Walker because he liked Nancy Walker. Didn't matter right. if he had the skills or not, but the fact that Bruce Jenner, Caitlin, does a fine job is one thing, but Nancy Walker did not. No. So apparently most movies directed by the DP. Oh. Oh, really? Yeah. I wonder, though, if like that was almost a sly move on his part to cast people he liked and who liked him because he ended up taking credit for a lot of these people's work later. Yeah, he did. He did. But, I mean, the whole casting process turned out to be a nightmare. It was a revolving cast. Cheetah Rivera was involved in some point. Who was oh, yeah. she supposed to be? I, can't I think the mom. That. I think oh, the mom. Wow. That would yeah. have been weird. Wow. Yeah. Cheetah Rivera was supposed to be Steve Gutenberg's mom, I believe, and Olivia Newton John was supposed to be playing the Valerie Prine, Ra- Prine room, then Cher, then Raquel Welch, then Jacqueline Bissett. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. yeah, they had Olivia in that documentary. They have Olivia Newton John on camera saying that she didn't like the script. Well, I get it because there's nothing in it for her. There's right. no song for her. She's a no. singer, right? And plus, and she she was riding high on Greece, and she knew how to to protect that. Yeah. So and so, well, or did Alan she? Carr, she did Xanadu. So true, true. She did her own bomb, but uh, <laughs> Alan Carr was the one who discovered her for Greece. He's the one that said this. I know she's just a singer, but she's the one. That's the one. Right, right. So she went from she's the best to that in great mm-hmm. overnight. So it's all kinds of drama behind the scenes, and it's all really awful. But- Would you say that she's the one that he wanted? Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> oh, Sorry. Ouch. Get oh. out. Get out. Get out. Get out. That's that why, that why throughout the movie there are ubiquitous grease posters stuck up in odd places. Grease posters and then grease song titles. And there's this one like soliloquy that Valerie Perrine does where it's all titles of songs and a bunch of them are songs from Greece. I didn't oh, catch yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Towards when the end, yeah. Uh-huh. When she's leaving Ron, uh, Ron's office the yeah. first time. I didn't get that at all. Oh, yeah, it's all song titles. Take my gay card. <laughs> <laughs> what I love, too, is that now Steve Gutenberg has been – he lives with Valerie Perrine, Sam. He used to be her house sitter. They're not in a, they're not a couple. And it's like this day, they've never had this conversation before that, hey, you write songs. I used to sleep with everybody in the music industry. All right, make me a really good demo tape and we'll take it to a record company. Sam, there's more to it than that. Like what? Like, like it's impossible. Look, nobody has time for anybody and nobody gives new people a break. This may come as a surprise to you, but while you were flunking out of college, I was being an enormous whore. I was dating and romancing some of the real biggies of the record industry. Mama has connections. <laughs> that I, it took so long for me to parse their relationship and figure out like what the history. Because she does mention early on, uh, "You're the best house sitter I've I've ever had" or whatever. So I'm like, "Oh, house sitter." But then I'm noticing that she's the one watering the plants and doing all the housework. And I'm just like, "What is going on here?" I don't know. And it's and it's clear that they and and it's it's clear that they don't have a sexual relationship or a romantic relationship. Yeah, and it's such a weird choice to have your leading man, nominally. Yeah, have no kind of relationship whatsoever throughout the film. None. Yeah. None. No, it's very like I would have would have seen if there was a rivalry between him and Ron, the Bruce Jenner character. Right. But there's not. 
Well, and they don't even have, they, like, they do have a romantic rivalry in the film, but it's between Caitlyn Jenner's character, I don't remember his name, and the music producer. Yeah. Oop, are you losing this? Patrick. Patrick. Uh-oh. Patrick. Oh, no, he's frozen. <laughs> he's frozen in time. So keep me suspended in time with you. Wait, wrong movie. So it is here, my beautiful, beautiful screamers, that we lost contact on this call for just a little bit. And when we resumed, there was some more complications, and we didn't go back and rehash everything that I wanted to cover, because some of this stuff is great. And one of the things that I want to talk about is that this movie at no point features the word gay. At no point does anybody do anything remotely gay. The village people are always surrounded by women and are flirting with women, so there's nothing overtly gay. However, the movie is packed with all these fantastic little references that I guess we're supposed to get the gay audience excited, be like, oh, they said something coded for us. That's really funny. And I want to play some of these for you, some of these great clips. For instance, there is a scene which we don't talk about we did talk about, but it, it, it got it was lost to the ages in that when Valerie Perrine is gathering members of the group, she's looking for singers. And there's a great montage where she'll be walking down the street with, let's say, Felipe, the Native American. And mid conversation, he'll switch out. and All of a sudden it will be Randy Jones. The conversation, she will continue the conversation as if nothing else has happened. And that keeps happening. Another character will come in. Another character will come in. And the whole time, she's eating a Baskin-Robbins ice cream. She made a big deal by getting a Baskin-Robbins ice cream. And the reason why this is important is because that somehow Alan Carr was able to make a product placement deal with Baskin-Robbins so that Can't Stop the Music had its own line of ice cream that you could buy at Baskin-Robbins, and it was called Can't Stop the Nuts. So you could actually go to Baskin-Robbins and buy gay ice cream. Alan Carr managed to sell gay ice cream to the American public, and apparently the ice cream was a bigger hit than the movie ever was, so go figure that one out. So she's eating this ice cream, which lasts for like 17 years and keeps changing sizes, but that's not the point. But she's talking to... Randy Jones, the cowboy guy. I guess when you see somebody every day, you just sort of take them for granted. I mean, counting out exercises is sort of like singing, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is, you know? It's sort of like, got the backbone connected to the hip bone, and the hip bone connected to the thigh bone, and the thigh bone connected to the leg bone. (laughs) Hey, how's that? Is that a star, is that a star? Ping, tonight it is. Be at my house at 8 o'clock, I'll finish the food, you finish the voice. And the wine. You always were a great hostess, Sam. Don't be fresh. So now there's nothing particularly special or interesting about this conversation except it's advancing the plot, which is weird for this movie. But at the very last second before Randy Jones steps off, she says to him... Do you have a handkerchief? Yeah, here you go. Thanks. This might not mean anything to you. But once upon a time in the gay community, there was this little thing called the hanky code. It was the village in the 1970s. Of course he has a handkerchief. And what color handkerchief does he hand her? Red. So what did that tell every gay man in the audience? That the cowboy is into fisting. (laughs) Oh my goodness gracious. The first time you see Caitlyn Jenner's character, he's coming out of that bakery carrying the cake in a box. This supermodel lady walks up to him and says, Nice box. 
Again, for you kids today, that might not mean anything, but in 70s terminology, box referred to a man's package, not a woman's vagina. So the fact that somebody just walked up to uh, to Bruce Jenner and said, nice box, would have had everybody in hysterics because the straight people didn't know about that one yet. Ha, 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 coded language. At this dinner party, the recording session in the courtyard that that we've talked about, Steve Gutenberg's mom says, Oh, honey buns, don't you realize it's your music that's bringing all of these talented boys together. They ought to get down on their knees. Okay, that's pretty much self-evident right there. And oh boy, would they. And oh boy, would they. They would be down on their knees in a heartbeat. Later on, Valerie Perrine's all upset, and she's all, she's so upset, she just wants to eat. She just wants to, to, to throw her everything in the wind and just stuff her face. And she says, I need two snowballs, one ding-dong, and a couple of twists. Make you feel any better? If you like feeling like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Anybody who can swallow two snowballs and a ding-dong shouldn't have any trouble with pride. Now, I don't know if they make snowballs or ding-dongs anymore, but you put, two of them, put those three things together, what do you get? You get a great big dick. You get a great big dick and plus Twinkies. Twinkies was also code. That's what we called Twinks back in the day. Like the, the Twinks is an abbreviation of Twinkies. So she's going to swallow a whole bunch of Twinkies and a ding-dong. Naughty girl. Naughty girl. There's also a point later on where uh, Ron and Sam hook up. They're in bed. The lights go out. And she says, What are you doing? These are the 80s, kid. You're going to do a lot of things you've never done before. (laughs) And people argue whether or not that meant he was introducing her to butt stuff. Whether or not he was, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there. The lights were out. He could have been doing anything. And that line about it's the 80s, you'll say and do a lot of things you've never seen before, keeps coming back. And she says it at one point, hopefully. No, it's the 80s. The 80s are coming. You're going to see so many things that you've never seen before. And all I thought was, oh, honey, you have no idea. Baby girl, you have no idea. But that's all sad stuff because that's how this movie goes for me. I get really into the silliness of it and then the sadness of it all hits me as well. But that's enough for this segment for now. Let's go back to me and Scott and Chris and an interview already in progress. All right, guys, we just had a huge break in the system. I'm sorry. We missed a lot. What did we talk about? We talked about how fabulous the sidekick Lulu was. Another fantastic performance. This horny Mrs. Roper character. Who looks like Tim Curry. Who looks like Tim Curry. (laughs) Sam, I'm sorry to bother you, but I am making this call under extreme duress. I laugh. I cry. I go on welfare. I am an unmarried, unemployed woman. Lulu, what's the matter? Sydney threatened to give me the sack unless I made this call. Can you imagine that? Me, who has given that sack the best years of my life. But again, walking away with the movie. Oh, she was it, fantastic. She was absolutely fantastic. And I was mentioning how the origin stories of the village people pretty much matched how they found them in real life. Yeah. For Like Felipe was a bartender who was who dressed in Native American drag, and that's kind of how they got Seven, though? Did he do it 24-7? <laughs> I don't know. Fuck. I was like, you got like you're in the recording studio with those jingle bells. Are you kidding me? Uh, and that <laughs> nope. that that throwaway line about having to like leave his headdress to be oiled. Yeah, <laughs> is that a thing? I maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I, I I don't know. My Native American listeners. Anything to do with him was always borderline racist. 
Oh God, it was so appropriating. I just like, I'm like, okay, it's 1980. It's 1980. It's 1980. People didn't know, but wow. It's so offensive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently a smoking smoking hot body. I will say. Oh yeah. yeah. Lulu agrees. (laughs) Lulu definitely agreed. And she wasn't afraid to show it. Oh, Indian is hot. I go for exotic types. Particularly when they're half naked. Hello. Mm, you tell him I'll make up for all the indignities they suffered in Roots. <laughs> no, I want to make Forcibly. up for everything they did to his people in Roots, which I didn't understand either. <laughs> I didn't either, girl. They were not Native Americans in Roots. Uh-huh. <laughs> Such a confusing line. Uh-huh. Cocaine. Talking yeah, to cocaine. cocaine. But I was saying how I met the night I met Glenn Hughes. From the village people. Now, pretend you haven't heard this already. Okay. I had um, Tell us about that magical night. A friend of mine from California used to come in and had a blog, and he would review Broadway shows, and he would get press passes, and he would always take me. And this particular night, we were going to see Forbidden Broadway. And he said, do you mind if we pick up my friend from Brooklyn? I said, no problem. I said, listen, just so you know, he's very sick, and he's very irritable, and he'll probably be really nasty to you, but just be cool. I'm like, whatever. It's okay. I don't mind. And we get to the apartment. It's a shitty apartment in this shitty neighborhood. And the whole living room is filled, floor to ceiling, with village people crap. Now, my friend has disappeared into the bedroom to help him get ready. And I've been left on my own. And I'm torn between thinking, God, what a huge queen. <laughs> and what can I steal? Oh, <laughs> my God. But I didn't, th- I didn't take anything. Good. And thank you. Good when thing. the bedroom door finally opened, what seemed like hours later, I, there was a long corridor that led to the bedroom and I could see that the walls were lined with gold and platinum records. And I realized that I have probably misassessed <laughs> the situation. This is not just a super fan of the village people. This is someone who was somehow involved in the village people, a village person. In fact, a vill- yes. In some way, I mean, it might've been a village person. It might've been their producer. I don't know. Who knows? And, we're driving to the theater, and we're going to the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, and he's like, you know, I used to work here. I'm like, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I know who you are now. You're, you're the leather guy from the village people. But I'm apparently, not saying anything. And he was apparently also actually a toll booth collector. He was a toll booth collector. That is how wow. they found him. They, he was singing in the booth. Singing Danny Boy in the booth. It just kind of sort of like it was in the movie. His singing Danny Boy is what got whoever was putting the group together's attention. And all of a sudden, Boofy's in the group. And it turns out he went to my high school, just like the legends all said. And I never said anything all night. And I caught on who he was. But it was sad because he was this – couldn't have been as old as he looked. Broken man in like a golf cap and plaid pants, stooped. Coughing up his lungs. Were they, were miserable. they leather golf pants? No, no. Just like looked like this. He looked like an 80-year-old man. Uh. And I'm thinking, you were the top of the music scene not that long ago. And you're just forgotten in this shitty, shitty, shitty apartment, this bitter old man. It was just very sad tragic. I'll be here in sunshine. Danny boy, oh Danny boy, I love you so. 
They Which were before is, their time. If they were around today, they would be a boy band and everyone would be, you know, everyone would have their favorite and they'd know their histories and they'd have solo careers. And Yeah, yeah, until they turn on them. They always turn on the boy bands eventually. <laughs> well. Menudo, please. Oh, so, well, well, we have Ricky you, Martin. Well, they kick you off the island in Menudo. That's true. Turn 16, you're out. Uh-huh, you're out. Okay, so back to the movie. We're back at the club. And, and, and what I thought was like, like I, I'm guessing that, you know, Felipe's Native American dancing was causing like lightning bolts to happen or something, or we're tracing, or we've all been given LSD. I thought there was an issue with my copy of the film at first. I was in gay heaven. I'm like, oh, this is so sweet. Uh-huh. What I enjoyed is that apparently you couldn't make a, a musical during this time without a woman in a zebra skin jumpsuit being featured. <laughs> And we had her here. I'm like, there she is. There's a leopard. Being fabulous. I just love this whole number. It just kind of caught the whole energy that I wanted the rest of the movie to have, and it doesn't. No. Well, it's funny. A dance number. The owner of the bar compares himself to Studio 54, and like the the vibe that you're getting is that it's sort of of a low rent Studio 54. I'm sorry. What's the name? What's the name of the bar? I don't. You know, it's some. Wait, wait. I wrote it down. (laughs) Do you remember? Yes, I do. This is fabulous. It's oh, it's 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 uh, like it's meat parts or something. It's sweet. saddle tramps. Saddle tramps. Saddle tramps. That's right. I just don't believe how they line up outside of saddle tramps. Please, they line up to get into my dry cleaners. Oh, I guess yeah. it's Big Apple psychology. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I would so go to saddle tramps. <laughs> but it's a straight bar. Yeah. Oh. Um, or is it? Nobody knows. In the bedroom with its butt in the air. But <laughs> but Halston seamstress and Calvin Klein's chauffeur go there. So that's true. They're only there the, the best of the best. This place is getting to be a regular studio. Fifty four. You know Halston, the big designer. Uh-huh. His seamstress was here the other night with Calvin Klein's chauffeur. Lots of biggies, you know. How chic. Oh right. Then we have to we have to put the we have to put the demo tape together. Right. No, first we get the when um, Valerie Perrine is recruiting, we get the construction worker who I think is a model or like a commercial actor. Commercial we get, actor. We get his fantasy sequence of how he wants his musical career to go. Which almost killed him, by the way, that musical number. Really? Severely injured. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, also that number, I Love You to Death, is awesome and awful at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, random and so it is weird. So, it it's is so, so, and so big and so it's like, amazing. It's like the Eyes of Laura Mars music video. Right. <laughs> it really is. But, but at he first, can't. At first, I thought, supposed- that was, I thought that was the commercial they were shooting. And then at the end, dissolve into him looking drinking. Right. Okay, let's try. Like, oh, what the fuck was that? Have you heard what a you word said? I've said? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's his whole, like, m- crazy musical number. But yeah, he fell off of one of the scaffoldings. Ooh. And cracked oh. his head open. Got a concussion and had to have, like, 16 stitches. Oh. But was still on set the next day because cocaine. Oh. <laughs> Great painkiller. So yeah, so we get that big sequence, which yeah, yeah, which is unfortunate because like he, it's supposed to show off what a great singer he is, and he really can't sing. Like the voice is jarring. 
it's a cool song, but there's something about it that's like n- nails on a chalkboard at the same time. Right. Yeah, right. Which is unfortunate. So then we, after that whole thing, that's when we meet Steve Waits, comma, record producer, slash phone addict. No, not yet, because we no? have to make the demo tape first. She has to have the demo tape to bring to him. I thought she brought. Nope. Okay. Yep. <laughs> you know, so they had the idea that we have to, we have to, we have to do a real live backyard. Oh, the backyard concert. demo concert, <laughs> right? Oh God, with the the everlasting lasagna. Uh huh. Yeah. So we talked about this a bit earlier, and it's this insane scene because okay, there's apparently no music, like recording equipment. Two Ooh. mics, two mics, <laughs> or a band. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well. And you're outside. And the thing is, Valerie Perrine's character keeps complaining. I don't have money for this. I don't have money for this. I'm like, have you seen your fucking apartment? <laughs> right. And she talks about her savings and how she's retired it's at the top. Huge. This apartment is massive. It just got this courtyard outside in the village, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Even back then, this would have been a fortune. And she has room in her bedroom for a four-poster bed with all those peach curtains surrounding <laughs> it. <laughs> did, did you see like the weird? Did you see the weird like? Uh, housekeeping robots on the wall. <laughs> what? I what? Robots? <laughs> they're, not, they're like these weird kind of like weird knights slash robots on the wall, but it's where she hung her mops and brooms and vacuum and shit. Oh, I didn't notice they were robots. But they were in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. They hang things in very random places in that apartment. Like just like clothes are just getting hung all over the place. And yeah. Plants are everywhere. And... Uh-huh. Yeah, but you get to meet you get to meet Steve Gutenberg's mom here. And his mom is June Havoc. She's do amazing. You, do you know who June Havoc is? No. She's the real life baby June. <gasps> wow. She's the other daughter. Sister to Gypsy Rose Lee. Wow. Holy crap, I did not know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's Which actually is- another one very funny. Yeah, oh, I love her. So I love great. all this stuff. I love it. She keeps bringing all this food all the time where she goes. Right, and there's such a weird line of explanation for her where, like, she's the character is written as a very like doting Jewish mother. Yeah, but in fact, she's not Jewish. She's Irish or Italian Catholic. Italian Catholic, but married to a Jewish man and acts like a Jewish mother. It's, uh-huh. just, it's just, so weird. Like, why don't you make her a Jewish mother? Oh, well, I got that though. I got that though because she said, "I'm." Probably because of my upbringing, because I I grew up on Long Island, and if you grow up on Long Island, you're automatically Jewish, Irish, and Italian just from the air. <laughs> so you pick up you pick up things from all the culture. And I'm like Italian and Jewish. That's why she's always serving food and guilt. Oh yeah, <laughs> and so, she's got all so the- invested in her son's amazingness. Uh huh. My favorite part was where she was like, "Don't eat that. You'll get the trots." <laughs> <laughs> oh, these look good. Ah, don't touch that, Jackie. It'll give you the trots. <laughs> <laughs> not the trots. <laughs> the trots. <laughs> Which is another band from the seventies that did not get their own musical. <laughs> oh God. Ladies and gentlemen, the trots. <laughs> they they weren't that good though. They were a pretty shitty band. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Poop but, fun. Yeah, but in this in this in this business, we they're in the midst. This is where the Caitlyn Jenner character gets introduced. He shows up in this whole insanity with a cake. Cause there's people running all over the place right, at this party. There's we, thousands of people there for some reason. Oh, it's it's insane. Can we rewind though to like fully explore 
Caitlin's introduction, which is, it's almost like a save the cat moment where this old woman gets hit by a moped and he, like, you think he's going to save her. Oh, wait, look out. And then she just gets hit. <laughs> he doesn't really do anything. But then he rushes up to, like, you know, administer first aid. And she's a mugger. Yeah. <laughs> she holds him at gunpoint, steals his watch, his wallet, his uh, class ring, his fraternity key, which I'm not sure what that is. I don't know what that is either. But but lets him keep the cake. But she kind of pushes the box against him to maybe mess the cake up a little bit first. Because uh-huh. it was New York in the 70s, man. <laughs> I totally thought I was in the Catskills all of a sudden. I was hoping it was the same old woman that poked the old that, that had the bread fight. The baguette. Yes, yes. The random baguette fight. I thought it was at first. <laughs> the baguette from the erotic bakery. Because that's what they're standing in front of. I'm like, but it wasn't an erotic baguette. No. Oh, <laughs> Unless, wow. Well, they're they're for all, somebody, all, I guess. We don't know. All baguettes are erotic, I suppose. Because they're shaped like dates and they're French. <laughs> well. Yeah, that was Sydney who got walloped with the baguette for no reason except that she was hailing a cab, I guess? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what was going on there. <laughs> but there's all kinds of random shit thrown in because why? Cocaine. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that whole sequence was just like, am I watching the same movie? There, yeah. are, there's, there are so many little like weird sitcom bits thrown in. Right, just, like, yes. The tone of them is so off and so weird. And like I'm sure somebody on cocaine thought, this is going to be hilarious. And it just... No, because nothing's set up properly. Yeah, it's just random shit. Uh, so we've got we've gathered in the courtyard. The, we've gathered the construction worker. We've mm-hmm. got Randy Jones, the cowboy. We've got Felipe, the Native American, and uh, we pick up the cop here, right? As well, who was? Oh, what was it? What was his name? What was the name of their band? I forgot now. It was, it was, it was oh, the cop outs. The cop outs. These. <laughs> Which you know something's not funny when a character has to say, isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, can we talk about the cop for a minute? That, that, is not, that is not the actual original singer from The Village People. Oh, really? Uh, the original singer was Victor Willis, who quit during pre-production because he was straight. And he wanted them <laughs> to straighten up everything and write his girlfriend into it. Girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so they replaced him. The character that follows him around still in the movie. Right. Uh, Yeah. That's uh, Felicia played by the wife of Sammy Davis jr. By the way, who's who introduces a couple of the other, a couple of the members of the group. Right. She just has this collection of men that she brings to the village people, but she's not dressed as a nun. (laughs) Cause she's in a sound production of sound and music. Another, it's another cocaine induced sight gag. I think that they just thought was going to be hilarious. And it's actually, it's, it, it works. But yeah, because yeah, he just had a huge string. That that character just had a huge string of profanity, and then a nun walks across. Yeah, right. and she's like, "It's okay. I'm just from the Sound of Music from the Harlem Theater." <laughs> right, and that does have a very laugh-in feel to it, where a nun just happens to walk in, walk into a music theater, a music studio for no reason, right. <laughs> like nuns do all the time, have to be passing through. So oh, I'm yeah. curious: was the cop lip-syncing to the the actual singer's vocals? I don't, I don't think so. I think he eventually replaced them. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, but the original cop walked out. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if that was a good career move or a bad one. I mean, we've seen the movie, so. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's one of those things. I don't know. It's kind of ironic that he wanted them to straighten up the film, though, because the film is so straight for being so gay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yet not. It's really, it's, it's a weird little film. It really it is. is. But yeah, then we have Magic Night, which is... Always around us. 
They go on for too long. Oh, God, everything goes on for too long. Because it starts, I'm like, this is actually great. And I'm listening to the music's going, I love it when my friends come together. I'm like, I bet you do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Me mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And this is what I was like, this, the, the optimism of the music and stuff was starting to hit me. I'm like, I get this. I could see where this would have worked in another time in another place it's so fucking optimistic and so charming in its own right but then i got really sad because i'm going man this is gonna bomb horribly and then this kind of gay is going away forever thanks to the aids crisis this whole you can't have a movie this happy yeah anymore after this sorry that was my that was my depressing sidebar (laughs) thanks for bringing us down yeah nice that's what I was thinking of when they were doing the horror around the picnic table for 14 minutes. <laughs> I mean, there was a, a cocaine in exuberance to this film for sure that no one really could tell how long things were going because they were just uh-huh. all so high. I'm going, why are you doing choreography at a recording session? <laughs> <laughs> Costume. They're so worried about how it looks. And did she want, uh, at one point, Valerie Perrine, like asks Felipe to go get the, um, the color wheel from her Christmas the decoration. Wheel. And the kids have no idea what that is, <laughs> what it's for. Oh, it's so bizarre. Yeah. So that's when um, the lasagna falls. So the next morning, Bruce Jenner comes back. Caitlyn Jenner comes back because um, – Oh, well, he has a – he storms out. Yeah, he's Storm very judgmental out. about and, – and this is where they get so close to acknowledging yeah. the gayness of the village people uh-huh. because – because um, Ron objects to, I don't even know what they are. You know, he, he, Everybody's so weird. Why is everybody right. weird? This is the best party we've had in weeks. Why are you leaving so early? Let's put it this way. Your friends are a little far out for me. What do you mean? I don't understand why a good-looking girl like you is down here in the village with a bunch of... I don't know what. Do you know something? I don't judge people. I accept them. There isn't a person who breathes who doesn't have certain peculiarities. And as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, it's all right with me. Yeah, but where do you draw the line? With uptight squares like you? Friends are so weird. That's, that's what they keep saying throughout the movie, that right. the village people are just weird. People from the village are weird, but they never say why. They're weird. Right. And, and I'm, not into, I'm not into Halloween at one point, somebody uh, Steve says. <laughs> Yeah, and she even has a line that's like, well, you know, I have lots of friends that are all kind of, I, I'm going to play the actual audio from it. It's like, I have all kinds of friends and I support them wherever, as long as nobody's hurting anybody. Yeah. And yeah. then I suddenly dislike Caitlin's character, like, okay, fuck off. Right. <laughs> well, but, but then um, hot lasagnas spilled all over his lap, so. Well, that's much later. After he abandons later. his job. Well, it's the next day. It's the next yeah. day. He comes back to apologize, and oh no, she sees him out. And no, no, she, no, she, goes, she goes to the 
She goes to drop off the demo tape the demo. with the guy who can't right. stop answering and the phones, which is funny. <laughs> it's it's so of now of the of the time period now, right? Yeah, this guy get off their she, phone. She used to date this guy, but she broke up with him because he couldn't stay off the phone with work stuff, and he still can't. He's telling he's like, no, I'm totally fine, but like, there's phones everywhere. Like, the phones keep popping up everywhere, <laughs> everywhere he goes, and. And even as he's like, he's like um, embracing her and kissing her neck, a phone rings and kind of answers it while he's still got his chin was it Rod Stewart? I did laugh at that one. It's so stupid, but it works. It's 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 very silly. Yeah, that stuff has a very John Ritter feel to it. Yeah, and again, laugh it. Yeah, like I can see this is a three minute skit on laugh it. Mm-hmm. Right, and so like, then of course he's got an appointment with his tax lawyers, and one of the tax lawyers happens to be you guessed Jen, it, yeah, Ron. And he sees her, and you know they have a meet cute outside the building, whatever. He apologizes, whatever, and right, it's one of those magical elevators that closes on you even as your arm is in it. And he loses uh-huh. his briefcase, and she's outside the building holding the briefcase. And his head is ripped off by the other. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole L.A. law thing. Good reference. Yeah. Oh, poor yeah, Ron. Yeah, yeah. I was going to go for Final Destination too, but that one was Ooh. even more niche. <laughs> Yeah, so they so Ron and Sam make up, and oh, there's this whole convoluted thing to get them on top of each other. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole slapsticky thing where he's in a barber chair and he gets stuck in it, and then her dress gets stuck on the barber chair, and then right. this little Tanya, it's all crazy. And then he goes into her very peach bedroom. But she does look. I did like. I did like the part where he, where they finally figure out the mechanism. And he comes springing up out of the chair, and she goes, "You sure get up quick." <laughs> he there. He could have gotten it. I'm telling you, he looks mm-hmm. good in that scene. He, he mm-hmm. looks great in this movie. I mean, I, I mean, even the crop top and shorts, which is coming later. I was like, "Damn, baby, mm-hmm. <laughs> lose the hair." But <laughs> so. So they do this whole like Mickey Rudy, Julie Garland thing where it's like, let's put on a show and they decide to audition people uh, <laughs> at Ron's tax office, which makes no sense. It makes no sense. And then the people who show up, I'm like, did you put out that you're advertising for a singing group? Because oh, there's like jugglers, there's a clown on stilts. <laughs> a, a, a man who um, spins flaming batons. Yeah. Yeah. While wearing gold lame hot pants. Are you auditioning for sugar babies? Yeah. <laughs> right. Maybe. 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 Yeah, that whole scene is bananas. And the bodybuilder who, who tears off his clothing as he's yeah, because yeah. all we're missing from this movie because probably because they were too gay were this their biggest songs aside from YMCA. We're, we're missing Macho Man and in the Navy. Right. Right. Although um, although Macho Man gets referenced several times, although the song is not in here at all. Yeah. Which yeah. is weird. I mean, the bodybuilder comes in and si- comes in and sings it half ass while taking his clothes off, which is not gay at all. Body, body, wanna feel my body, 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 wanna touch my body, 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 wanna touch my body, body, body. Right. And the Valley Pride wears a macho woman tank top in I the giggled. YMCA. I giggled scene. at that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that song probably would have been way too much. You can't ungay that song. <laughs> oh, God, you really can't. Um, so in the audition sequence, that's where we meet the uh, – that's where we meet Glenn, right, and he sings Danny Boy. And I got to say, 
somebody should have been paying a better attention to the sound mix because it's so clear when they cut from, you know, live yeah. audio to yeah. lip syncing to the tape. Here's the thing. I also love that. Like he's like that. The leather man is like the one guy that you can't ungay either. And they didn't even bother. Cause like his package is packed. <laughs> he's on top of that piano singing Danny boy. And I'm like, Danny boy, Danny, <laughs> Danny boy. definitely a boy. Holy <laughs> shit. Look at the size of that thing. Oh my goodness gracious. But I love that he showed up for his, because he's not even there for the audition. Nope. He's there to do his taxes in full leather. I'm from the Bronx. My name is Glenn Hughes. My word, basic black. What do you do, Glenn? I'm a toll collector at the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. Do all toll collectors look like that? Just the hot ones. Uh, what's your talent? Huh? Uh, aren't you here for the auditions? Auditions? I'm here for an extension on my income tax. Glenn, oh. <laughs> you're in the wrong room. We're having auditions for a singing group. A singing group? Yeah. Well, you ain't heard nothing yet. It's full leather. <laughs> With the gloves and everything. Everything. I love that. And he parked in for, he even got Doris Day parking in front of the place on Wall Street <laughs> for his motorcycle. Because Leathermen don't get nervous and they don't care where they park. Oh, my God. I forgot. That was my favorite line in the whole movie. <laughs> Leathermen don't get nervous. Yes, they do, honey. Is <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, that when it so do we meet the army guy here too? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't get a lot of screen time. No, he doesn't. Yeah, mm. again, Felicia just drops him off. She's like, here's another one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and she like, and the way that he like, there's all this like weird backstory that's kind of mentioned but kind of not. Where like the military guy is in a group that sings in the park, and something Steve Gutenberg like has heard them, so he doesn't even have to audition him. He just lets him in the band. <laughs> yeah, it's so random. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, just move the plot along at this point because it's right, right. I think they're trying to hit like those like historical marks in the lives of the real village people. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're kind of getting to. lost in the mix. Yeah, but yeah, moving along because yeah. let, let's have a production number about milk. Oh, oh can we talk about this? Oh my god, this whole thing. I, I love. I love the first of all. This is introduced by Sydney early on in the movie. The whole milk campaign. I'm playing the sound for it now because it's hilarious. <laughs> What did she say? Tell me everything. Uh, she just invited me over to see her new apartment, but I don't know if I can make it. Oh, yes, you can. She's done a very clever thing. She's retired. She's the garbo of models, and everyone is clamoring for her, and I'm going to deliver her if it's the last thing I do. To the Dairy Association? We are going to make milk more glamorous than champagne. Make a note. One, I'm going to suggest they redesign the bottle. Two, I'm going to insist they cork it. Three, Miss Samantha Simpson is going back to work. We're going to make milk even sexier than champagne. Oh, yes. I'm going to make them cork it. I'm going to make them change the bottle. She doesn't want to do this commercial because she doesn't do commercials anymore. She's not a model. Stop bothering me about this. But she's like, you know what? We need the money to get whatever we need done. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. So I'll have make, make a comeback. I'll, I'll do this commercial. <laughs> but milk. you got to use my group. As well, we come as a package deal. So instead of a commercial, you get a seven-minute video. <laughs> right. With the best production values Milk has ever paid ever for. Ever seen. Ever paid for. And apparently, Milk turns you gay. Oh, because big time. Because it starts like a regular commercial. She's a mom in the kitchen. She calls the kids in, and the kids are dressed as the village. The kids are so adorable. <laughs> I want to know where are those kids now, and how did they turn out? Well, actually, they're the I think we know version. how they turned out. <laughs> they are the latest version of uh, village people going touring the state. Right. <laughs> Child craziness. All right, listen, children. If you want to grow up to be big and strong and sing and dance, 
you've got to drink your milk. This video took, this particular segment apparently took three weeks to rehearse, like 57 cameras, four days to shoot. I believe it. I believe it. I it. It's like the sexiest milk commercial possibly. And you can imagine, and as they were saying, how did this get made? Is this about blowjobs or handjobs? And I said, I don't think it's about either. <laughs> it's, it, it's a seven minute recipe for milkshakes. Like yeah, they literally yeah, yeah, tell yeah. you how to make a milkshake in the song, yeah. and then they just like sing the flavors of milkshakes for five minutes. Now, did yeah. I read in the credits that the milk commercial and the "I Would Kill for You" song were like a totally different production team? Very possibly, I didn't miss it. But the thing is, okay, since we're here, uh, Steve Morell, uh, Steve uh, Gutenberg's character is named Jack Morell. Uh, Jack Morell. Uh huh. The music producer. Jacques. Morelli. Yeah. Jacques yeah. Morelli, yeah. So this is like a thinly veiled autobiographical thing for him as well. They just made right. him less. Fun. So my question is because the Village People were created by two, I think, French or European producers, and one was straight and one was gay. Which is Jacques Morelli? I don't know. Probably well, that's right. If this is combined them into him, he's a straight one. They combined them into one scene. Boone Gutenberg. That way, you don't know whether he's gay or straight. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, because okay. your mouth says straight, but your box says something else. Faggot. <laughs> 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 Do the shake. Do the shake. <laughs> My God, it's, it's uh, that whole number. I'm just going. What? It, and it's a terrible song. Oh, it's, it's horrible. Terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, it's not a good song. It's, no, it's, it's really great, not. It's a great commercial, but it's not a good song. No, but they're thinking, oh, this is great. We've got it made now. But apparently they made the commercial on spec. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, sorry. You threw all this money into this and you didn't even get approval? Because like, if you ever done a commercial, like there are people from the product all over the place. <laughs> yeah, but these milk people have to have to think it over before they'll accept the commercial. Uh, the higher echelon of Madison Avenue feels that it may be too controversial for their American family image. Corporate thinking sucks. Mother. I thought that it was very chic and tasteful. Two qualities often ignored by television. That's another roadblock, another roadblock. And can we just, side note, we're introduced to Ron's mother at some point in this yeah. mix. And there's this weird like thing where everyone is hot for Ron's mother. Was that like written into the actress's contract? I don't know. I don't know because this is actually where I said like the cast is so big and there's so many people and there's so many like different castings that happen. They're going. I'm sure she's somebody. She is Barbara Rush. I have no idea who that is. Yeah, me either. But I'm sure. Oh, she's it came from outer space. Oh, okay. All right. She's actually the uh, the creator of the Rush Poppers. Oh, okay. That's why, that's why everyone's so hot for her. That's she's why they treat her like royalty. Yeah. yeah. You get too close to her and you're just like, ooh, I'm really horny all of a sudden. I don't know why. My butthole just went, ooh. Just opened up. Thank you for that, Ron's mother. What a rush. Do the shake. <laughs> uh, so there's so – and the, the like – 
it's so hard to parse like where everybody's at and what all this because everybody's jumping in on the village people and jumping out and and getting into it and getting fired and like it's there's like so much busy work in this film that it's yeah. hard to like tr- like keep track of the a plot yeah so i mean they, they finally get this like party that they're supposed to it's some sort of fundraiser party that's going to be their big debut in san francisco that ron's mom is putting on that this is what she does anyway right and the fucking richie richie family shows up and has a fantastic number I was like, but it really brings the film to a screeching halt for it six does, minutes. But the thing is, had they just kept going with the concert, it would have been better. But then you had this long scene backstage. And I'm going, you just sucked all the air out of the movie. Well, okay, don't forget, I, there's that private jet scene. Now, this is where I got really oh, confused. Oh, oh, I got scene. really confused here because she arranges to get on the private jet with the record producer to basically to seduce him to get more money and right. and Caitlyn Jenner's character throws a big hissy fit because I thought you loved they've me. got this relationship forming yep. and he can't believe she's the kind of person that would seduce somebody to get what she wants and- yeah but he can't believe that she shows up in that milk commercial either which was nothing she was in a gown the whole time right but then but then she steve, on ymca which we didn't talk about <laughs> we'll come but then steve gutenberg's character and his mother get on the plane and she disappears for like 20 minutes with no explanation that's because they're having a threesome on the plane who <laughs> steve gutenberg's mom and the music producer. Oh, right but where's valerie perrine during they, all this they, they all they ate all the crap locks <laughs> but they don't get the trots <laughs> and they have a threesome. And then they all show well, first of all, there's this great sequence on the plane with the mom that yeah. just I was laughing my ass off because she turns into this Broadway savvy producer. Oh yeah, she's a shark. I worked for David Merrick on Broadway. I know about contracts. I think we're going to have to insist on ten percent of the first one hundred percent net profit. Nobody in this world is going to give you any more than 2% of 6% of 100% of the profits. How about 9%? That's ridiculous. No more than 7. 8%? You're robbing me. Oh, use your napkin. I'm sorry. What about the merchandising? Not so fast, huh? Yes, the merchandising. No. I think that we will have to ask for the T-shirts. I feel like I'm sitting on my own plane with Ma Barker and her kid. All right, you want to fight? All right, you get the T-shirts. I get the lunch pails and the look-alike dolls. Oh, you can have the T-shirts in Japan. We will take the lunch pails worldwide. All right, just back up a minute, all right, and go all the way back to the beginning. Now, which one is the Kreplon? And then everyone magically shows up in San Francisco. Right, except Valerie Prine, who's late and inexplicable. They all think she's gone to Acapulco. Yeah, they they think that she's run off with the music producer with who's Steve, taking her right? out to Coco instead. To get married. Yeah. Well, that was Lulu. Lulu said that. Oh, so Coke. weird. Coke. <laughs> yeah, Coke. Cocaine. Cocaine, whatever. She got the trust from the cocaine because that happens. <laughs> Allegedly. But eventually everyone shows up in San Francisco. Right. And this is where we get the Leatherman Don't Get Nervous yeah. sequence because they're backstage in the green room preparing for this this yeah, the thing. costumes haven't shown up and everything's going wrong, of course. Right. It's all the backstage nonsense, which you don't care about. Just get to the fucking show. Right? Exactly, exactly. And, but you do get the letter. He's probably bunching the walls. <laughs> don't get nervous, crying. It's fantastic. Leatherman, don't get nervous. Leatherman, don't get nervous. Oh, yes, they do. Yes, they do. Uh, and can I just mention that, like, early in the film, 
we're told that you know nobody sings these days, everybody dances, and yet the big failing of the village people initially is that none of them can dance. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, since we're there, when they get there, when they finally get the studio demo, they sing the song "Liberation," which Scott mentioned earlier. Why is this a gay anthem? started i'm like oh my god this is fantastic this is fabulous and then they fuck it up by making it a joke about bad choreography right and lulu coming in and futzing with them and yeah so now we're not listening to the song you ungayed the song you ungayed the wrong song and like right. this should have been at the end which again why oh, yeah. are we focusing on choreography during a recording session yeah. and why does steve like refuse to back them when he sees that they can't dance when in fact you're supposed to be listening to them as a music executive I don't know. None of, none of it makes any sense at all. No. But actually, I think the other guy, what he was saying is like, no, they're too much. They're not right. I'm thinking he's like, what he was saying is like, without saying it was like, they're too gay. He's like the few people that would be interested in this are not enough for me to be interested no. in this group. I struck gold or have I struck gold? I'm afraid you struck out. Hey, don't be an idiot. They were wonderful. Now listen, just listen to me. I've made a fortune in this business using my intuition and my intuition tells me do not get involved. What in the hell is the matter with you? Village people is better than any group you've got. Uh, I'm sorry, Samantha, really. Uh, I know that you put a lot of time and money into this group, and you don't have any extra money coming in, but they've got a very little something to offer, very little, to a very small audience. Now, I'll show you exactly how disinterested I am. Yeah. I think that's what he's saying, without saying it. Right. Is it too gay? Sorry. Well, and then later it almost seemed like it was like he was he was negotiating by like like leaving the table so that they'd you know come back for less. Yeah. He does make an offer right after that, and Valerie Perrine is insulted by how small it is. I can't even feed my cat on that. And he's like, You don't have a you cat. You don't have a cat. <laughs> Such sitcom language in this yeah, It really is. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, finally the show happens and they can't stop the music. It's a big glorious concert number, which apparently had twenty thousand people involved in it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, shot for like a week. <laughs> well, they lured them with the uh, the Richie family. And, and said, by the way. Yeah, and it can't, it can't stop the music. And we didn't talk about the YMCA number, but which is amazing. Oh, and how tacky my it is. God. Yeah, well, they don't have a place to rehearse, but Ron's like, I got a great place to rehearse. <laughs> the YMCA. The California. <laughs> Oh, so random, so amazing. With probably every homosexual man in Glendale, California. <laughs> <laughs> that sequence is the best argument for freeze frame because there's so much going on and it's so quickly edited. That it's like, wait, what? Did I just see full frontal? Wait, are they naked in the hot tub? Wait. There, there are full on dicks. There are full on dicks and boobs. Yeah. Valerie Perron is topless and you see dicks. Dicks in a PG movie. PG movie. <laughs> PG standing for... Penis galore. <laughs> Pretty gay. Back in the, back in the 80s, that's what it stood for. Woo! There is penis galore. Yeah, it, it's just... And it's weird because it's a squeaky clean number, except for all of a sudden, dick. <laughs> right. 
It's just everybody working out and doing all the things that you don't actually do back in the YMCA back in the day. Well, and and when you watch the documentary on Alan Carr, they talk about how he inserted a lot of his fetishes into this number, the boys wrestling and all yeah. that, the locker room, oh, horse, oh, horse play and I mean, you get lots of slow motion stuff like the guys on the on the on the on the uh, the, the, the sawhorse, the sawhorse, and on the and on the uneven bars and stuff, right. and it's all about the musculature and always about the package going right past the camera and all right. this stuff. So it is still dripping with gay, yeah, with that weird, beautifully shot. Like there are some great shots. In there that is, yes, intermittent with that weird Valley of the Dolls animation shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Which is so, nineteen eighty synchronized yeah. diving going on. Oh yeah, yeah. As, still as Buzzy they, Berkeley there. Yeah, as it said in the documentary, somebody said it's a Busby Berkeley number filtered through Honcho magazine. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It really is. It's a, it's a gorgeous it's number. It's one of those things that still to this day, like whenever they play at the end of a wedding, I'm like, do you know what you're dancing about? <laughs> it's about brotherhood. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what went on at the YMCA? None of these things. I'm not eating a meal from the YMCA. Is it? <laughs> no. Let me tell you, as a young gay boy, I was pretty disappointed when the only thing that happened to me at YMCA is that I hit my head on the bottom of an air conditioning unit after tennis practice. Yeah, me and I'd too. Have a stitch. Me too. Um, <laughs> me too. Me too. Oh, his scout wipes his mouth. <laughs> dirty bitch. That's the movie. And it flopped horribly. It was one of the biggest budgeted musicals ever. $20 million down the tubes. It tanked and it tanked hard. And they really like Alan Carr thought that he could promote the hell out of it and make it a hit. And it just, Oh yeah. He, kept, and they just kept throwing money at it. Kept, he was, he was carting the cast around from city to city to city, like this world tour. Right. And it, I, there's that great moment in the documentary where they show the poster and they show people fading out. Cause basically at the end of the promotional tour, the only person left was Gutenberg. Uh-huh. As he said, he's like, that's because I was like young and it's my first movie and they're putting me up at the four seasons and I can steal towels. <laughs> <laughs> he's amazing. Uh, well, and Disco was dead by this point. And it, yeah, it wasn't yeah, just it was. dead. It, it was, was like dead. It wasn't just dead. There was a backlash. Right. People were like blowing up disco records and football fields. Yeah, which yeah. I never really understood, like what the hate, where the hate came yeah. from. I mean, I lived through it, but I don't remember exactly. I wasn't that, it wasn't that concerned. It, it's very political. It's because it was gay and it was black. And okay. so, and so, what would soon become Trump's America? That uh, was that was their way of fighting back. Was like okay. we're going to blow up these records and because disco's dead because we hate faggots. Right. Yeah, yeah, I was like nine years old around this time, and I just I I remember very clearly people saying disco sucks. Like that was like a a tagline that people yeah, I remember the graffiti to, that everywhere, you know, fuck disco, uh, disco sucks, all that stuff. I remember that as well. And it's, it's, I but didn't it realize. Is still danceable. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I, there are some disco classics that are in heavy rotation in this house. Let me tell you. Thank you very much. Disco definitely not dead in this house either. No, sir. But it, it's, well, it's such the language of our people too. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It's hard to find a gay anthem that doesn't have a disco beat. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just so sad. Like they said, the hubris behind it and the, the career is ruined by it. And just, I'm, I'm yeah. going to speak some truth here. And that homophobia I mean, is behind it. Like what you're saying, if the disco thing was about homophobia and racism, uh, unfortunate, sad, 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 sad. In a yeah. movie that's gay, not gay. <laughs> right. I want to say that for 
I was truly dreading this movie. I really, really was. Because I hadn't seen it before, and I didn't know what to expect. I don't think it's that horrible of a movie. No, it's um, not. It's it's right on there along with with Xanadu, which is yeah. not, if you take them for what they are, they're they're pretty good movies. They're There's just, a lot that works. There's a lot. Yeah. I mean, they're totally watchable. They're silly fun. It's just silly if you take it as a time capsule too. Right. Exactly. It captures that time. I think they had we embraced. That we were at, that that that, he, that Alan Carr thought that homosexuals are going to be accepted by mainstream audiences. I think they if they had embraced the camp a bit more. It, it, yeah. it might have succeeded. Yeah, but they. I think so too. It, it was trying to be too many things to too many people. Yeah, yeah. And you know, of course, after this, Alan Carr did Grease Two, another huge flop. Right. And this was like the beginning of the spiral for him of yeah. disaster. And what this show. I loved in the in that documentary they had all those animated sequences which were hilarious. They're like the old school Hollywood, <laughs> like Jane Russell, had it with this crap. <laughs> <laughs> and they showed like cartoon Jane Russell like beating up Carol Channing in like a full leather outfit. <laughs> right. So random. Oh, those those animated sequences are amazing. Yeah, because um, of course, like the gay the, the the Hollywood parties to go to were Alan Carr parties, which were of course huge gay parties, and old Hollywood was having none of it. We have to go to these parties, but we don't like it. Uh, and I think uh, I think there's nothing more depressing to me in that documentary than finding out that Brett Ratner now owns the house of yeah. the fabulous Alan Carr. Uh, it's just yeah, yeah. And so like once he started to go on a downward slide, like Hollywood ate him alive. It did. They did, and it's sad. I mean, to be fair, the Oscars with the Snow White number were pretty abysmal. Oh, so bad. He's responsible for that, too. That was, But in between, he did produce La Caja Fall on Broadway. Yes, he did, which was a huge hit, and which put him back on the top, which Which enabled him. Because, you know, is the theater world going to accept this? How do we know? And it it totally worked, and good for him. Although they don't kiss. They don't get, but don't still. Kiss. I feel like Can't Stop the Music is very much a reflection of Alan Carr's place in that point in time. Because in the documentary, they talk about how he never said he was gay. He was this like over-the-top flamboyant character who wore caftans and had these big gay parties and you know like had all these t- hot muscle blonde twinks all over his house, yet never really acknowledged his sexuality. And I feel like that is exactly what we're seeing in can't stop the music yeah yeah i mean they said in the documentary too like he was in his 30s before he lost his virginity in any way shape or form and he culture from the 50s like even his gay friends from college were like well we never talked about it we knew but we never talked about it and that's exactly what's going on in this movie you're right right and probably in 1980 a lot in a lot of places too you know and he thought we were all going to be past this and we weren't so no and yeah. so the movie tanked. And I mean, it's it's bad, but it's not as bad as people say it is. It's bad in a supremely watchable way because, yeah, there are these like long, tedious sequences and this really weird sitcom antics. But like the uh, the YMCA number alone is worth the price of admission. Uh-huh. I mean, just and wow. the milk number for as, milk, bad, yeah. for as bad as this song is, it's a good sequence. Uh-huh. And there's this kind of joy and exuberance underneath it, this weird innocence. Right. Watching Steve oh. Gutenberg roller skate around New York City. I mean, old New York City, which doesn't exist anymore, and he's in the middle of traffic and nobody honks at him. Right. 
Oh, and you could go from Greenwich Village to like Lincoln Center and then back in like 30 seconds and it's okay. <laughs> Those are some turbo roller skates. Uh-huh. Cocaine fl- Cocaine powered roller skates. <laughs> yeah. So it's like this weird kind of comedy tragedy watching this movie. And it's it I I think it's kind of a hoot. It's too long. It is too long. Movie's way too long, but if you can get past that, I think you got a very watchable movie. And like I said, then this nice time capsule of a world that does not exist anymore right. and oh, will really. never exist again. Womp womp. I know. I podcast down, but you know what? Leatherman, <sighs> don't get nervous. And Leatherman, don't cry about the past. <laughs> <laughs> and milk was not made more glamorous than champagne, as hard as they tried. No. No, no, no. Well, you know, because you know why? they never. She never made the little bottles with the cork in it. That's right. right. Yep, that's it. That's the problem. I mean, it comes uh, in bags in Canada. That is not glamorous. No. Here, give, give me a sack of milk, please. <laughs> nice <laughs> milk bags, lady. <laughs> <laughs> they were nice. <laughs> yeah, so rotating cast, all this kind of craziness, hubris, exuberance, cocaine, fuel for disaster, but... And at the end, a proposal between the two straight characters. One of whom was later coming out as trans. Right. Right. And then Steve, Steve, the record producer, who's like been pining for Valerie Prime the whole time, probably like really hashtag me too's this reporter who's there to cover the village people. Yeah. Um, but she seems kind of into it, I guess. But yeah, you know, he fixes yeah. her collar and is all fiddling with her body and they take it to another room. Uh-huh. Yep. 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 And the village people perform and it's amazing. Uh-huh. it's great there's glitter cannons <laughs> there are glitter and then we watch during the uh, closing credits we watch all the, the best scenes of the film but through a glitter haze yes <laughs> <laughs> which is how I like to think of this movie I, I, th- I think it's a hoot in it's own right it's a shame it's history is what it is and that it's not even considered a gay classic no it's not I mean it's it should be I mean but it's not for whatever reason. It's a well, shame. It's I, not gay. You're right, because it's gay, not gay. Right. Maybe it's ripe for a remake. No. No. <laughs> With who? Shut your dirty whore mouth. No. With who? With who? <laughs> um, uh, I mean, the village people still tour, but it's not the village people. Right. Because I, I remember uh, years ago, I went to uh, – back when uh, GMHC used to do uh, dance-a-thons. Mm-hmm. They would line up. You know, you get 30 second, uh, not 30 second, 30 minute sets of like the biggest names in pop all night long for like 12 hours. And I remember this year I went, it was like Salt and Pepper and all these other people and the village people. And I was psyched to see the village people. And I'm like, who are these 20 year olds? Oh, mm. I bet that Indian doesn't wear his headdress 24 (laughs) seven. Probably not. Unless he wants to get roasted on Twitter. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He might have, I mean, he might have. He might be partially Native American. I don't know. Do we think Felipe was in any Possibly. Like, in Possibly. Any I don't know. Well, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Okay. <laughs> I thought okay. he was Puerto Rican myself. Well, and and the one character thought he was black because she was apologizing for Roots. For Roots. <laughs> for all the misfortunes suffered for those people in Roots, which is something I've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> so bizarre. Neither has anyone else on this set because it made the final cuts. Right, exactly. Cocaine. Oh, uh, yeah. So that's Can't Stop the Music, you guys. Uh, let's never stop the music. Let's never stop the music. Or the nuts. <laughs> or, or the nuts. <laughs> stop the cocaine. Right Please stop way. the cocaine. <laughs>
All right. So, guys, where can people find out more about you, where to find you, and what's going on in your lives? Start with you, Scott. Well, I can be found on the Twitters and the Instagrams at Sater69. And I invite you to come listen to my shit show of a podcast, The Sater Sphere. Ooh, we're me and my flame dame, Cindy. We talk about movies and theater and hockey and television and my penis, the impaler. Ooh. You got a new subscriber again, here. Again, again, your eyes just lit up like it was Christmas morning. I love having cameras on this now. Ooh. Uh, he, who doesn't like a good impaling? Sometimes it crawls the, into the microphones. <laughs> I'm hungry. Hey, Chris, what's going on with you? Uh, well, I am in perpetual pre-production on my new feature film, Let's Pretend We're Bunny Rabbits. We will Beep. see it sometime in this century. Um, uh-huh. I'm also working on a long-term uh, photography project over on Instagram called Colors of Pride. You can catch me on Instagram. Ooh, at, what a great name. At Christiani, C-H-R-I-S-D-I-A-N-I. Um, I'm also on Twitter, but I'm not really active on there under the same screen name, Christiani. Okay. Uh, Chris, are you going to have a Kickstarter for your pre-production? <laughs> um, I'm not even going to mention how many years ago I had a Kickstarter for this film, but it's uh, it's coming soon. It was in 1793, and Kickstarter <laughs> was made out of wood. <laughs> I have backed hundreds of Kickstarters, especially he made 375 Confederate dollars. <laughs> especially if it's gay cinema. So if you have another one, let me know. I will totally back you. I will. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, boys, thank you for joining me for this very special Pride episode. I'll Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets gay, not gay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for sharing this experience with us. Oh, you're very you. welcome. Bye, boys. My, my therapist Bye. will send you the bill. You're welcome, <laughs> and maybe I'll pay it in contact lenses. wrap up everything on can't stop the music there are a few little tidbits about the movie i want to share with you they got lost in the kerfuffle because boy it's a tough movie to talk about because it's batshit crazy am i right am i right we didn't even skim the surface believe it or not there's a few things i want to talk about and also i have some final thoughts not just on the movie but on the village people themselves and the era from which they came and how that's going to apply to us now But first, one thing you should know is that this movie, Can't Stop the Music, is the reason the Raspberry Awards exist. Yeah. Without this movie, there would be no Razzies. The man who put the Razzies together went to a double bill of Can't Stop the Music and Xanadu 
and immediately came up with the concept of the Razzies. And Can't Stop the Music is the winner of the very first Worst Picture Award for the Razzies. Fun fact. The other thing that's more LGBT-related is that shooting at the same time was the Al Pacino movie Cruisin'. And that is a really dark, violent thriller about a serial killer plaguing the leather community of New York City in the late 1970s. And there was a huge amount of gay backlash against this movie. They thought it was going to be exploitive. They, they thought it was going to paint the community in a bad light. And protests were massive. They were shutting down productions left and right. It was just, you know, people would line up by the hundreds outside of a set and just honk their car horns for hours and hours and hours so that they wouldn't be able to use whatever sound that they recorded and stuff like that. And I get that. The, the movie gets into a lot of dark stuff that maybe the world wasn't ready for. And um, even though none of it's untrue. Yes, all the people in that movie have sex in the bushes or in the middle of a public club, but that was happening. Still happens. Maybe not the public club so much anymore, but believe me, they're there. It's there. Not just in the leather community. It's there. But the thing is, very often, the set of Can't Stop the Music would be confused for the set of cruising. They'd see a whole bunch of scantily clad boys running around, and all of a sudden the word would go out, cruising shooting, everybody come down here and protest. And they would try to shut this down. And Randy Jones was telling a story. He's like, I don't know how many times I would find myself out on the street. We were trying to shoot people away. I'd be on a bullhorn yelling, we are not those faggots. You have the wrong faggots. That's the other faggot movie. And it just makes me laugh that this movie is so innocuous. And people were still trying to shut it down. But <laughs> and people, I might have joked once that, well, you know, it's the village people. Maybe it should have been shut down. And that's where I'm going to shift gears. Because at no point in my life up until this time did I ever think I would be talking this much about the village people. That I would have done this much research into the village people. Or to... I never thought that I would be walking a mile in the shoes of the village people or spent this much time thinking about how actually important the village people were. But I have. And I'm glad I did because this episode has been an eye-opener. You know, you think you know everything about something and then it turns out you don't know anything. Now, one thing I want to say is that we talked about this. By the time this movie came out, disco was dead. And the album flopped, the movie flopped, everything flopped. The village people were already on their way to becoming a joke. <coughs> and actually, most of them didn't approve of the movie. As they were making it, they kept saying, uh, particularly, uh, I have quotes from the guy who played the construction worker, whose name I don't have in front of me because I'm a horrible podcaster. He was saying, everything about this movie is just taking away what we are and making us a joke. And I guess part of that is because some of the thing 
that we talked about with Chris and Scott about how they were out and proud, but Alan Carr was not. Alan Carr wanted to dance on the line, so he actually reeled them back. If you go and look at the early records of The Village People, because this movie came out in 1980. Their first album came out in 1977, simply called The Village People. The title song, Village People, is a call to action demanding LGBT equality. And this, that's 1977. That's what, six years? I can't do math. Eight years after the Stonewall Rides. And these guys are putting that out on their first album. Now, I also want you to take a moment to think about that. That the village people, at no point in their career, were hiding their sexuality. I mean, you look at their first album, it's called Cruisin'. The song Macho Man literally drips with sex. Yeah, songs like Hot Cop, I'm a Cruiser, My Roommate, which of course was code back in the day for my boyfriend. Fire Island, San Francisco, you got me. These, they're all incredible out gay songs. There is a song on their, on their Macho Man album called I Am What I Am that I never listened to because I thought it was a cover of I Am What I Am from La Caja Fall, but it's not because it's years before La Caja Fall. And what it's saying, the lyrics are, I am what I am. I did not choose the way I am. I am what I am. Accept me for what I am. Holy shit. In 1978, on a major record label, they never hid their sexuality. Can you imagine how much pressure they were under to tone it down from record studio? I mean, I mean so much of that stuff that, a little, that we saw in the movie, we had little touches of that where they're saying, the guy was saying, oh, well, it's such a niche market. Or they're too much. They're too much, whatever. How much they had to be ordered to tone it down or to butch it up or to ditch the costumes. But they didn't. And they rose to the top anyway. And I'm just thinking all the times that I saw them on TV when I was a kid. Because I remember, I loved them when I was a kid. I didn't know what they were. I just liked the songs. I liked YMCA. I liked Macho Man. I liked In the Navy. I liked all those things. They were great. I loved every time they showed up on TV. I didn't know why. My mother had a clue because I remember she asked me at one point. She's like, why do they wear what they wear knowingly? And I honestly did not know. I said, I don't know, but I like it. But I know that every time you appear on TV, somebody's going to go over you with a fine-tooth comb and tell you what you can and cannot wear to appeal to their audience base. You can't wear that on morning TV. That's not okay. I mean, just think about you know Elvis from the waist up or, or, or the doors. Let's spend some time together. Someone is always going to be telling you to not do what you do. They did it. They went on American Bandstand dressed like the biggest homosexuals you ever saw and probably sang Macho Man to a bunch of you know, prepubescent teenagers dancing awkwardly in front of Dick Clark and did not change it up. That is balls. That is bravado. And I applaud every single one of them. And the thing that is sad is that it's only their most sanitized songs that we remember, YMCA, in the Navy, even Macho Man.
you could take the sex out of Macho Man, even though the song drips with sex. Listen to that dirty, dirty, dirty. Listen to the song right now. Go, go find it on whatever. Whatever your music service is, except if it's Spotify, because fuck them. Listen to that beat. Listen to those dark harmonies. It drips unapologetically with man-on-man sex. But those are the songs that we remember, and those songs are jokes. They've become jokes, and the village people have become a joke. You think of the village people now, and you giggle at them, or worse, are embarrassed by them. What an embarrassment. Oh, how gauche. What an embarrassing blot on gay history. That is how people remember them now, instead of the fucking trailblazers that they actually were. And even I had no idea. And I think of how Glenn Hughes, I was just doing a little bit more research on it. I discovered that um, when he passed away from lung cancer, he died in that apartment that I met him in. Remember that apartment I mentioned? That tiny, shitty apartment in a shitty part of Brooklyn that had forgotten, poor, and even unappreciated by his own community. How fucking tragic. How tragic. And all this got me to thinking that the problems seem to start for the village people because of this movie. This movie forced them to be something they were not. It forced them back into the closet. It turned them from out, proud, angry gay men into sexless cartoon characters, sidekicks, with no personality except to be adorable. So no wonder the jokes. Okay, everybody just buckle in for a second because we are taking a turn because I'm going to switch over to the movie Cruisin' for a moment right now. Because like I said, it, it shot at the same time. And the entire gay community was in an uproar that this movie could not be made. That we cannot let this kind of thing go up on movie screens. What will people think of us? And here's the thing. Even though the sex that was portrayed in Cruisin', the... And the distastefulness, some would say, of it. You know, mom. I might say it was very tasty, but that's not the point right now because, well, okay, that yes, gay men have sex in public places. They have it in parks and in bathrooms and in the backs of, you know, abandoned trucks. We're ashamed of that. But it's the truth. And yeah, there are some certain bump, there are some certain bars, you know, down by the Hudson River where, you know, on certain nights you might go in for a beer and there's a sling and someone's in it and they're getting fisted by everybody who walks by. And that's just part of the evening's entertainment. And even if that's not going on, there's probably a room in the back where there's no lights on and, well, you can only figure out. You can only guess what's going on in there. But they didn't film what was going on in there in cruising because you wouldn't be able to see it because it's a dark room. See what happens there? Again, the kind of thing you don't want your family back in Iowa knowing that you might be doing now that you moved to New York City, even if you're not doing it. Even if you weren't at those bars, you'd be like, shit, I don't want anybody to know about that either. Except it's the truth. And it still is. Okay, maybe it's not in public bars, but there's still sex clubs. You know, a lot of them did survive Giuliani. I mean, there were gay and straight sex clubs up until the 2000s, for God's sake. 
That's the only reason these places exist. Uh, only reason these places existed, and they were um almost respectable. Again, you won't find them in the tourist brochures, but uh, they were real. We all knew it. That's why everybody giggles when they talk about you know how the meatpacking district has changed, because that's where a lot of those places were. And now that five-star restaurant you're eating at, well, that used to be the trough where everybody would get peed on. Dig in. Unpleasant, but the truth. Meanwhile, Can't Stop the Music decided to keep things nice and pleasant and fluffy and light and totally fake. Because it's not how the music industry works at all. It's not how people behaved in New York. And it's not about gay men. Well, it never says it is, but the thing is, Alan Carr wanted to have it both ways. Alan Carr wanted to have his gay cake and not let the audience eat it, except for those cool ones in the back. We're going to get the little jokes that keep sticking in. These little smirking jokes. Look, everybody knew, for Christ's sake. Everybody knew the village people were gay. Just say it. But you didn't. And maybe on some level, those initial audiences of Can't Stop the Music rejected it because they said, this is a lie. You're selling us crap. You think we're idiots. And while everyone was expecting, you know, people at the time were expecting that Cruzen was going to do horrible, horrible damage to the LGBT community so soon after Stonewall, that it was going to send us all back into the closets, that one could argue that Can't Stop the Music might have been more damaging. Because it might have taught a bunch of kids who went to see it, hey, maybe it's best I stay in the closet. Maybe it's best if I just lie to people for a little while longer. Maybe I could pull it off long enough to get married and have some kids, and then no one will ever know. That was not a good idea. And anyway, I'm just being hypothetical. Now, my goodness, where did I get? How did I get here? Tangent. Tangent. No, it's not a tangent, because what I was saying is that the truth will set you free, man. And no, this is never, that truth is never more true than on Pride And that truth is never more true than during a pride celebration. And I thought that the lesson that we could take from this is that nothing good ever comes from hiding who you really are. And I was preaching to the choir here because, you know, you're here, right? It's a gay podcast, and I'm assuming... You're pretty comfortable with who you are, whatever part of the rainbow you are or not part of the rainbow, whatever, you know, whatever kind of person you are, you are pretty comfortable who you are in order to be here. And that's awesome. But there are a lot of people who aren't. And, okay, so this movie destroyed the careers of so many people involved with it or started them on the downward path to destruction. And yet the one thing that is true about it is that you actually couldn't stop the music. The music is the one thing to survive unscathed from this movie. The music of the village people lives on, even though their message has gotten convoluted over time. The music is still there. They couldn't stop the music. And you know what? They can't stop us either. It is 50 years since the Stonewall Rise. 
50 years before we even got the inkling of being able to say who and what we are and be proud about it and not be like Alan Carr in college and his friends knowing but never ever mentioning it. Deep, dark secrets that you held your whole life, even with people who already knew your secrets. You didn't discuss your secrets with people who had your same secrets. Nothing good comes from that. But when you can finally get to the place where you accept who you are enough to be able to stand out in the streets and shout it in front of a billion people and not care. I am who I am. I did not choose the way I am. Accept me for what I am. I'm proud of what I am. And you're standing there in a crowd of people doing the same thing. Ain't nobody's going to stop them people either. I'm talking about all you people who are out there at Pride shouting your faces off. And you know what? I'm also talking to you. Those of you who may have figured it out for yourself yet, you can admit it to yourself, but you can't shout it to the world yet, we're here for you, okay? We get it. We've all been there. It's a scary thing. Well, wait. Because believe me, if Anita Bryant couldn't stop us, Prop 8 couldn't stop us. AIDS couldn't stop us. If Ronald Reagan didn't stop us. George Bush didn't stop us. And certainly Donald fucking Trump ain't gonna stop us neither. Because as we've said now, for 50 years, and we'll say it for 50 more until we don't need to say it anymore. We're here, we're queer, and when we stand together, you can't stop us.
So that's my beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Screamers is going to wrap things up for episode 264. It's going to wrap things up for Gay Pride Month here on the show, but hold it dear in your hearts year-round, every single day. And sadly, this is also wrapping up Scream Queens Season 9. Yep, uh, after the show, I'm going on a two-month hiatus like I do every summer lately. Did you forget? Uh, I'm sorry, you guys, but no. It's time for Daddy to go for a while. Daddy's getting a lot older, and he has to go to Palm Springs and golf in ugly pants. No, I, I would never do that. I'm not that old. Jesus Christ. No, God. Nope, I just need some time to reconnoiter like I do every year, just kind of clean the palate focus my attentions on other aspects of the show besides the actual show, and most importantly, to get a head start on the countdown to Halloween Potathon, which is already about to start recording. Yeah, I know it's July. Do you remember where I got last year? I was crazy. Patrick, you're always crazy. You hush your mouth, young lady. You hush your mouth. You'll be grounded all summer. No bikini parties for you. What's a bikini party? I don't know. But <sighs> this always makes me sad. Going away from the show always makes me sad. And the fact that we're starting up on year 10 of this boggles my mind. Boggles my mind. I don't know where I would be without all of you. I say it all the time. This show keeps me sane. This show keeps me sober. And... It's helped me be closer to the ideal homosexual that I'm meant to be. Did that make sense? I hope so, because I am extremely tired. This episode has taken a lot out of me. It's taken days to edit this thing for some reason, but I'm going over it with a fine-tooth comb, because I want this one to be fabulous, because it's the last one you're going to hear for a while. Oh, stop crying. I'll be back. And if by some chance I get hit by a bus and die over the summer, well, I've already told you. This is probably, oddly enough, the most important thing I've ever done in my life, this damn show. <sighs> and that makes you pretty damn important, too. But, you know, the show's not going away for everybody. No, 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 no. Hey, if you're a Patreon subscriber, if you're one of my super screamers, you're still going to be getting your bonus episodes. And actually, you're probably going to be getting more bonus episodes because I won't be doing this for a while. I say that now, but I've got, what, 21 interviews to cram into eight weeks. In theory, that's the plan, to get them all done during hiatus so that Daddy doesn't have another breakdown on the air this year. But, you know, we all know that's going to happen, right? That's part of the fun of Halloween. So I guess this is goodbye for the summer. <sighs> oh, but before we go, I do want to thank my guests, Christiani and Scott the Seder from the Seder Sphere, coming all this way to my apartment and recording here. Oh, gosh, it was great to have you guys and also do the show with you. Ha! I'm hilarious. I do also want to give an apology to Doug Shapiro for not being able to have him on the show, for, you know, having this cat crisis that... Interfered with the only day he was available for when he went jet-setting off to do summer theater with the Barnstormers again. It would have been fun to have him here, but Chris was... Well, he'll never replace you, Doug. But he did. 
He did blitz him. <laughs> I'm horrible. The other thing I want to say before we leave, I'm very happy with the way the episode turned out. And as cautious as I am about talking about Caitlyn Jenner in this movie, and even though I said up front we were going to try to not dead name her or misgender her, we did it anyway. We did it anyway, so I apologize for that. We're just caught up in the whole excitement of Can't Stop the Music. And I had Can't Stop the Music playing while I was on the TV while I was recording, so I'd be looking at the theater. Uh, I'd be looking at the TV screen and talking to the boys, but I'm seeing the person that I know as the track star from the 70s, and I just couldn't remember to call her by her proper name. So, Caitlin, I apologize. I do apologize. You understand. You understand. It is a brave new world, and this is, you know, New territory, and some of us are old dogs, and it's hard to learn new tricks or turn new tricks either. But if you want to get in touch with me, if you're having a fabulous summer vacation, I still want to hear from you people. I'm not going away away. I mean, just keep in touch. You can give me a call on the voicemail number, 917-720-2047, or... Perhaps you'd prefer to write me. You can write me. Why am I rolling my R's? You can write me at crew at screamqueens.com. And, of course, that's Queens with a Z. And, hey, say hi on Facebook while you're at it. You know, do a search on Scream Queens where horror gets gay. Poof, there I am. Also on Twitter at Scream Queens. You can see what's going on with my summer vacation at Instagram. By uh, I'm, I'm Scream Queens podcast on there. And you'd be like, wow, he's sitting at his desk, looking really pale and hollow-eyed, talking to people on the internet. Yep, that's right. That's what we've been doing all damn summer. But I've chosen I've chosen this, and it's for the best cause possible for the queer children of tomorrow who are in serious trouble today. Am I right, kids? Am I right? Hey. Oh, and if you didn't want to... <laughs> two months is just too long for you to go without having my voice purring in your ears. Become a patron, and the way to do that is to go over to www.patreon.com slash screamqueens. One of my first to-dos on this vacation that consists of nothing but to-dos is to revamp the Patreon page and to revamp the goals and the pledges and stuff like that. I, I threw that together when Patreon first started happening. I, it was no rhyme or reason, and I have a better understanding of how Patreon works and what people who become patrons want. So I'll be adjusting to that accordingly. Oh my God, I almost forgot. There's going to be a party. We're going to celebrate 10 years of Scream Queens on the show's anniversary. So on July 29th, the show's 10th anniversary birthday, whatever it is. I'm going to be setting up a live streaming show on Get Loki, this new perk that we have through Patreon. You'll not be worried about that later. We'll worry about those details later. But we're going to be hanging out on camera. We're going to be talking. We're going to be having fun. And most of all, finally, we're all going to play a game. A game of my own devising. A game I've been waiting to play with you all for ten long years. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what it is. But listen, there's going to be more details on that as we get closer to the date. 
And as I get away from production of the show and I can actually focus on that a bit. And you don't want to miss it because it's going to be a hoot. Oh, I forgot to mention. It's only for my Super Screamers. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's a patron perk to come to a private party. But that makes me feel bad. I'm going to work something out. That sounded dirty. But before you panic and say, no, no, Patrick doesn't want me to come to his party. I do. I do. And I understand not all of you want to be patrons. I get that. It's a big commitment. But maybe, maybe, maybe I'll have to think on it. Maybe I'll think of a way for you, some of you anyway, to backdoor into my party. Oh, my God. Now it sounds like I'm soliciting for sex. Okay, it won't be soliciting for sex, but I'm going to figure out a way for some of you to be able to come. There'll be some little task you might have to do. A hurdle to jump. A small donation to a charitable cause, perhaps. But we'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Because right now, the only bridge I want to cross is the one to my bed. Why do you have a bridge in your bed? Why don't you shut up? Why don't you just close your mouth, okay? So until September, my beautiful, beautiful screamers, Continue to make the world a fabulously creepy place. And for the love of Benji, never, ever, ever, while my back is turned, do you dare forget the Scream Queen's golden rule. Fight or flight. Survive the night. Make it to the final real baby. Because otherwise, I won't be able to see you in September. See you when the summer's through. How many keys am I singing in? All of them. Happy summer, everybody. See you soon. All of the music for tonight's show, unless otherwise specified, has been written by Sam Haynes. You can find all of his music at www. Dot bandcamp.com Bitches! <laughs>